Chapter Twenty Four of Nurse and Spy in the Union Army by Sarah Emma E. Edmonds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four. After the Battle of Fredericksburg, the weather was very cold, and the wounded suffered exceedingly, even after they were sent to Aquia Creek and other places, for they could not all be provided for and made comfortable immediately. Our troops returned to their old camps in the mud and remained stationary for several weeks, notwithstanding our daily orders were to be ready to march at a moment's notice. The unnecessary slaughter of our men at Fredericksburg had a sad effect upon our troops, and the tone of the northern press was truly distressing. The wailing for the noble dead seemed wafted on every breeze, for, in the city, in the village, in the hamlet far away, sit the mothers watching waiting for their soldier boys to-day they are coming daily coming one by one and score by score in their leaden casings folded underneath the flag they bore on the twentieth of january general burnside issued the following order to the army which was joyfully received for of all places for an encampment that seemed to be the most inconvenient and disagreeable Headquarters, Army of the Potomac, Camp near Falmouth, Virginia, January 20, 1863. General Orders Number 7. The Commanding General announces to the Army of the Potomac that they are about to meet the enemy once more. The late brilliant actions in North Carolina, Tennessee, and Arkansas have divided and weakened the enemy on the Rappahannock, and the auspicious moment seems to have arrived to strike a great and mortal blow to the rebellion, and to gain that decisive victory which is due to the country. Let the gallant soldiers of so many brilliant battlefields accomplish this achievement, and a fame the most glorious awaits them. The commanding general calls for the firm and united action of officers and men, and, under the providence of God, the Army of the Potomac will have taken the great step towards restoring peace to the country, and the government to its rightful authority. By command of Major General Burnside, Lewis Richmond, Assistant Adjutant General. Soon after this order was issued, a portion of the army did really move, but the pontoons became stuck in the mud, and the troops returned again. In this manner the winter wore away, and a severe winter I thought it was, for in riding a distance of two miles, in two instances, I had my feet frozen. General Hooker was now put in command of the Army of the Potomac, and Burnside, with the Ninth Army Corps, ordered to the Western Department. Being desirous of leaving the Army of the Potomac, I now applied for permission to go with the Ninth Corps, which was granted. I did not go with the troops, however, but went to Washington first, and remained several days, then took the cars and proceeded to Louisville, Kentucky, and arrived there before the troops did. The last entry in my journal, before leaving the Army of the Potomac, was as follows, quote, The Weather Department is in perfect keeping with the War Department, its policy being to make as many changes as possible, and every one worse than the last. May God bless the old Army of the Potomac, and save it from total annihilation. End quote. On the arrival of the troops at Louisville, they were sent in detachments to different places, some to Bardstown, some to Lebanon, and others to guard different portions of the railroad. 
The third day after my arrival, I went out with a reconnoitering expedition under command of General M. It was entirely composed of cavalry. We rode thirty-six miles that afternoon. The roads were splendid. When we were about twelve miles from our lines, we changed our course and struck through the woods, fording creeks and crossing swamps, which was anything but pleasant. After emerging from the thick undergrowth, on one occasion, we came upon an inferior force of the enemy's cavalry. A sharp skirmish ensued, which resulted in the capture of five prisoners from the rebel band, and wounding several. Three of our men were slightly wounded, but we returned to Louisville in good order, and enjoyed the luxury of a good supper at a hotel, which is a rare thing in that city. I took the cars the next day and went to Lebanon, dressed in one of the rebel prisoners' clothes, and thus disguised made another trip to rebeldom. My business purported to be buying up butter and eggs at the farmhouses for the rebel army. I passed through the lines somewhere without knowing it, for on coming to a little village toward evening I found it occupied by a strong force of rebel cavalry. The first house I went to was filled with officers and citizens. I had stumbled upon a wedding party unawares. Captain Logan, a recruiting officer, had been married that afternoon to a brilliant young widow whose husband had been killed in the rebel army a few months before. She had discovered that widow's weeds were not becoming to her style of beauty, so had decided to appear once more in bridal costume for a change. I was questioned pretty sharply by a handsome captain in regard to the nature of my business in that locality, but finding me an innocent, straightforward Kentuckian, he came to the conclusion that I was all right, but he also arrived at the conclusion that I was old enough to be in the army, and bantered me considerably upon my want of patriotism. The rebel soldier's clothes which I wore did not indicate anything more than that I was a Kentuckian, for their cavalry do not dress in any particular uniform, for scarcely two of them dress alike, the only uniformity being that they most generally dress in butternut color. I tried to make my escape from that village as soon as possible, but just as I was beginning to congratulate myself upon my good fortune, who should confront me but Captain Logan? Said he, See here, my lad, I think the best thing you can do is to enlist, and join a company which is just forming here in the village, and will leave in the morning. We are giving a bounty to all who freely enlist, and are conscripting those who refuse. Which do you propose to do, enlist and get in the bounty, or refuse, and be obliged to go without anything? I replied, I think I shall wait a few days before I decide. But we can't wait for you to decide, said the captain. The Yankees may be upon us any moment, for we are not far from their lines, and we will leave here either to-night or in the morning early. I will give you two hours to decide this question, and in the meantime you must be put under guard. So saying, he marched me back with him, and gave me in charge of the guards. In two or three hours he came for my decision, and I told him that I had concluded to wait until I was conscripted. Well, said he, you will not have long to wait for that, so you may consider yourself a soldier of the Confederacy from this hour, and subject to military discipline. This seemed to me like a pretty serious business, especially as I would be required to take the oath of allegiance to the Confederate government. 
however i did not despair but trusted in providence and my own ingenuity to escape from this dilemma also and as i was not required to take the oath until the company was filled up i was determined to be among the missing ere it became necessary for me to make any professions of loyalty to the rebel cause i knew that if i should refuse to be sworn into the service after i was conscripted that in all probability my true character would be suspected and i would have to suffer the penalty of death and that too in the most barbarous manner i was glad to find that it was a company of cavalry that was being organized for if i could once get on a good horse there would be some hope of my escape there was no time to be lost as the captain remarked for the yankees might make a dash upon us at any moment consequently a horse and saddle was furnished me and everything was made ready for a start immediately ten o'clock came and we had not yet started the captain finally concluded that as everything seemed quiet we would not start until daylight music and dancing was kept up all night and it was some time after daylight when the captain made his appearance a few moments more and we were trotting briskly over the country the captain complimenting me upon my horsemanship and telling me how grateful i would be to him when the war was over and the south had gained her independence and that i would be proud that i had been one of the soldiers of the southern confederacy who had steeped my sabre in yankee blood and driven the vandals from our soil then said he you will thank me for the interest which i have taken in you and for the gentle persuasives which i made use of to stir up your patriotism and remind you of your duty to your country in this manner we had travelled about half an hour when we suddenly encountered a reconnoitring party of the federals cavalry in advance and infantry in the rear a contest soon commenced we were ordered to advance in line which we did until we came within a few yards of the yankees the company advanced but my horse suddenly became unmanageable and it required a second or two to bring him right again and before i could overtake the company and get in line the contending parties had met in a hand-to-hand -hand fight all were engaged so that when i by accident got on the federal side of the line none observed me for several minutes except the federal officer who had recognized me and signaled to me to fall in next to him that brought me face to face with my rebel captain to whom i owed such a debt of gratitude thinking this would be a good time to cancel all obligations in that direction i discharged the contents of my pistol in his face this act made me the centre of attention every rebel seemed determined to have the pleasure of killing me first and a simultaneous dash was made toward me and numerous sabre-strokes aimed at my head our men with one accord rushed between me and the enemy and warded off the blows with their sabres and attacked them with such fury that they were driven back several rods the infantry now came up and deployed as skirmishers and succeeded in getting a position where they had a complete cross-fire on the rebels and poured in volley after volley until nearly half their number lay upon the ground finding it useless to fight longer at such a disadvantage they turned and fled leaving behind them eleven killed twenty-nine wounded and seventeen prisoners the confederate captain was wounded badly but not mortally his handsome face was very much disfigured a part of his nose and nearly half of his upper lip being shot away 
I was sorry, for the graceful curve of his moustache was sadly spoiled, and the happy bride of the previous morning would no longer rejoice in the beauty of that manly face and exquisite moustache of which she seemed so proud, and which had captivated her heart ere she had been three months a widow. Our men suffered considerable loss before the infantry came up, but afterward scarcely lost a man. I escaped without receiving a scratch, but my horse was badly cut across the neck with a sabre, but which did not injure him materially, only for a short time. After burying the dead, Federal and Rebel, we returned to camp with our prisoners and wounded, and I rejoiced at having once more escaped from the Confederate lines. I was highly commended by the commanding general for my coolness throughout the whole affair, and was told kindly and candidly that I would not be permitted to go out again in that vicinity, in the capacity of spy, as I would most assuredly meet with some of those who had seen me desert their ranks, and I would consequently be hung up to the nearest tree. Not having any particular fancy for such an exalted position, and not at all ambitious of having my name handed down to posterity among the list of those who expiated their crimes upon the gallows, I turned my attention to more quiet and less dangerous duties. Then sweet thoughts of home came stealing over my mind, and I exclaimed, Adieu, dear land, with beauty teeming, where first I roved a careless child. Of thee my heart will e'er be dreaming, thy snow-clad peaks and mountains wild. Dear land that I cherish, oh, long mayst thou flourish. My memory must perish, ere I forget thee. End of chapter 24